Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 74 of How Do You Write? I'm thrilled you're here today. Today, I am talking to Alex Dolan, who is a writer local to my area. He's a thriller writer. It was super fun to talk to him. He's got a lot of knowledge about that industry. And since I am trying to break into it, it was super fun to talk to him. I know you are going to enjoy it. And a little update on what's going on around here. You guys, what is not going on around here? Since the time I spoke to you last week, I believe I did not bring this up last week. Could be wrong. My, you know my brain. Um, but I believe this is true that since we talked, I have not only come up with the idea of recording my Fast Draft Your Memoir book for audiobook, uh, but I have completed it. Yes, I lost my damn mind this week. Yeah, it just occurred to me that I wanted Fast Draft Your Memoir in audio form. So I looked into how I could do that. I have done audiobooks in many different ways. I think I have 11 or more. I can't remember audiobooks out. Um, some have been by the publisher. Um, I have hired out some, which has gone really well. I love doing that. Uh, it's nice to be indie on some things because you get to make that choice. Um, when publishers do your audiobooks, you don't get very much say in the narrator. But if you're hiring it out, you get ultimate say in the narrator, which is great. And I thought about doing that, but boy, is it expensive, number one. Number two, this is a nonfiction book. For me, for nonfiction, when I listen to it, I want to hear it in the voice of the writer. So I decided that I would try to do it myself. So I Googled. That's what you do, right? I Googled. And I found out that it is a very bad idea. It's like the worst idea, according to everyone, to do your own audiobook if you don't know what the heck you're doing, which I didn't. And I accepted that for a minute. Um, I even looked into renting studio space, you know, a recording studio area and paying for their production and going in and narrating myself, but it was just as expensive as it would be to hire somebody and have their production person do it. So I let go of that. I don't really have that money lying around. So I decided to give it a try. I Googled one more time and I found this one guy who had done it successfully using GarageBand and distributing to ACX, which is uh, the Amazon platform for uploading audiobooks that then go to Audible and iTunes and all the platforms. So I just decided to give it a try. I baffled our bedroom in six different uh, mattress toppers that I got from Target after a long time trying to find foam that I could stick on the walls. That was impossible to find. And then I realized mattress toppers would work. I used my standing desk um, on the bed, propped on a long mirror so it didn't wobble. I used my good podcasting mic and I learned so much. There is nothing I did not screw up doing this audiobook, but I loved it. I absolutely loved 
everything about the process, except for all the screw ups. I spent 35 hours. It took 35 hours from start to finish. Um, I'm really glad that I tracked that time. I know how much time it took to record it. I know how much time I took to edit it, although I can't bring those numbers up right now. And all in all, I think it was totally worth it. I hope. Basically, if I sell a few copies that's of the audiobook, that's kind of free found money, right? I already have the book. I'm putting it out. The reason I got so frantic about it, though, was that I'd really like the audiobook to come out on the day that the book does, the ebook and the paper version, which is February 4th, which is like next week. So this time last week, I just decided to pour my all into it. Basically, I put everything onto the back burner and did this. And you guys, it sounds pretty good. It does not sound like my podcast. My podcast is never scripted. I'm always stuttering and umming and making tons of mistakes and not having full sentences or even complete thoughts, which drives me crazy when I'm editing the podcasts. But the book was already written. The other thing that was so cool about doing this was it was another chance for revision. As I read the sentences out loud and I heard how some of them sounded, there are these terrible outtakes all through the recording where basically I read a sentence and then I go, what the, what did I mean? And I'd already gone through this book a million times and I was still catching things that needed to be fixed because they didn't make as much sense as I wanted them to be, to, to make. So it was just such a joy. And I just uploaded all the files to ACX and I'm really hoping that they don't reject them all. They still could. I They could reject them all and I could lose those 35 hours. But you know what? That's the risk of an entrepreneurial lifestyle. I am more than exhausted by the sound of my own voice. I am so tired of listening to myself talk. I can't stand anything that I say. Even now, it's driving me crazy to talk to you. So I'm hoping that that will wear off. And I'm sure that it will. I have just spent so much time editing. And actually, this is a really good time on the audio version of this, not the video. Unfortunately, I am going to put in a clip from when I exported the track that was meant to go to ACX, but I accidentally mixed all the tracks together. And when I first played it, number one, I thought, Jesus Christ, this is how it's all going to sound. And I have wasted those 35 hours and so much energy on this project because I really sounded like a possessed demon from hell. And it was pretty funny. So I will include that on the audio version right here. You guys, I'm so tired of editing things and my dog is out there making barfing noises. She's not barfing. She's just making terrible noises. So uh, I don't think I'm even going to edit that out because I can't edit anything else this week. But I just wanted to tell you that I'm very excited about that. So I also wanted to take this moment to thank some Patreon supporters. Um, And I have been very remiss in doing this. And so it's like maybe more than a month since I've done this. So there's quite a few names and thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I also want to say that if I forgot to say it on my podcast before, Patreon rolled back that terrible idea that they had had that charged patrons, you guys, 
more and didn't take the money from me in terms of service costs. They heard so much grief about that terrible decision that they rolled that back. So if you have been thinking about pledging and haven't because you heard the outcry from them doing it wrong, they fixed it, which I have to say, I really commend them as a company. It was less than a week they took to revamp everything they were doing because they listened to what we said, which very much impressed me. So new patrons, thank you to Natalie Lurs, Heather Golder. Hey, Heather. Laura Lohner, Kara Gott-Warner, um, Bonnie Craig, Ruzana Gasparian. I hope I didn't butcher that. Thank you. The Career Author, which is Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon's new podcast, The Career Author. You should go listen to that. It's great. Um, Barbara Breton, Kristen Collins, Christine Halverson, R.I. Merrill. Hi, R.I. Sophie Birdie. Thanks again. Julia Borghini. Thanks, you guys, so much. It means the world. And um, next week, my new essay is going out on home. That's the part of Replenish, the memoir I'm writing right now. Uh, in which I'm looking at this month of looking at home, building home, taking care of home in order to replenish our spirits. So that's happening. I just feel like so much is happening. I'm teaching at Stanford on two days. That class is all ready to go. And I haven't taught in a while though, so I'm excited. And it's an incredibly, incredibly busy two weeks. And I feel great. I feel jazzed and motivated and excited and inspired and kind of completely exhausted. So today recording the podcast is the last thing I have to do before I go out to dinner with my sisters. And I will believe I, I'm going to have to edit this, aren't I? Oh no. I believe I will toast myself with a glass of wine and some Thai food, hopefully. So I'm going to enjoy that. But now, without further ado, Let's get into the interview with Alex Dolan. You're going to love it. Enjoy. Please drop me a line with what you're doing, what you're working on. I love to hear from you guys. And happy writing to you. Talk soon. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write. And you'll also get my Stop Stalling and Write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. Okay, well, I could not be more pleased today to welcome Alex Dolan to the show. Alex, hello. Hi, hi, welcome. Uh, welcome to me. <laughs> we <laughs> will all we will all welcome yeah. you. I love that. I love that opening. This Let is, me. <laughs> this is how easily disoriented I am with Skype. Well, the new <laughs> Skype. Oh my gosh, the new Skype has issues. I think it's a little bit more stable. Like I was telling you on email, but otherwise, ugh. Well, let me give you a little introduction for those who might not know you. Uh, Alex Dolan is the author of The Euthanist and The Empress of Tempera. Tempe- Tempera, Tempera, right? no, you got okay. it, yeah. <laughs> He's also the host of Thrill Seekers, part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, which reaches 3 million listeners worldwide. He's a member of International Thriller Writers and Sisters in Crime, and has been an executive committee member of the San Francisco Bay Area's Lit Quake Festival. In addition, he has recorded four music albums. He holds an MS from Columbia and currently lives in California. Again, thanks so much for coming on the show. I am in touch with you because we frequent the same cafe and i won't out the cafe if you want to remain mysterious um but it's a pretty great writing cafe isn't it it's one of the best writing cafes if you live in the san francisco bay area and you live in the east bay and you don't want to go to to a starbucks yeah it's a great writing cafe um 
And yeah, I don't know whether or not I want to out the cafe either. Let's like not. I want to give them business. But so let's let's not. But if you want to, we'll say it's in San Leandro, and it's not Starbucks. It's in San Leandro, California, not Starbucks. And if you really want to know, you can PM me and I will tell you privately. <laughs> oh, I think that's a great idea. That's good. Yeah. Um, some of my friends and I have always called that the magic cafe because it just seems to be a place where even when you if when you go with writing friends, you can still manage to put your head down and get actual real work done. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's odd. But there's that whole family living room vibe and, you know, I, I don't know if people do it still, but when I, back in the day when I used to go there, I used to leave my computer on the table. What was yeah. I thinking? Do people still do that? Well, I was, I was going to joke across town up by the highway, there's a Starbucks that I call the magic cafe because lots of things disappear from it. <laughs> oh <laughs> no. So including, so yeah, it's not the place you want to go into the bathroom and leave your, your laptop out. Yeah, <laughs> I once installed an alarm system. Have you seen those alarm systems for your computer where if it moves or a key, a key is pressed, it starts wailing like a car alarm. And it just amused me. <laughs> and I set it up at that cafe once. And then I went to the bathroom and I hurried back so fast because I was worried somebody would bump it and then everyone would panic. <laughs> the, all right. So you're, you're reminding me of my all time favorite alarm clock. And it was intended. It was it was made sometime in the 80s. But it was made as in the 80s, um, call, recalling back the Batman and Robin characters from the 60s. Uh-huh. And it had like Adam West and whoever voiced, whoever played Robin was on this thing. And the thing is, it was meant for like a six-year-old, but my 19-year-old college roommate had it. And it was when the alarm went off, it literally was Adam West and the other guy talking to each other saying, holy cow, Batman, I think this guy needs to wake up. And he's and Batman comes in and is like, well, I think we should wake him up, boy wonder. And they and they just start shouting, wake up, wake up, oh, until you no. turn the thing off. But it's like Adam West as Batman shouting at you until you until you turn him off. I hope he got um, well paid for that gig, for that I, particular you know, alarm clock gig. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. But if I could program that noise to whoever steals my laptop, um, it, it would be, be its it. own. Yeah, it would be totally worth it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, let me dive right in with your writing process. How how do you write? When do you, are you always at our unnamed cafe? Uh I I I tend to write uh I tend to plan. I'm a big planner. Um and so usually what what starts with me is a key concept. And um and so it's it's sort of more of a, an idea of the world that I want to build. Um, and so for for the first book, which was that that I had out called The Euthanist, I knew I thought it would be interesting to do something around the concept of euthanasia, mm-hmm. and to have my main character be somebody who was a euthanasia practitioner. And so I start that was sort of the corner, um, the cornerstone of this world that I wanted to create. And then once I have that an idea of that world, or at least the kind of the premise of the book, then I think who would be interesting to be in that, in these parts, who would, who would be in this world. And so all my associations with euthanasia for better or worse, were with Jack Kevorkian, Kevorkian, who, who did great work and, and was very important person, but um, who looked like death warmed over. And I, you know, I don't think that necessarily helped him. I don't uh, think it did either. And so the the central character of 
of my book, The Euthanist, was the exact opposite of what you would expect if you think of Jack of Orkian. Mm. So it was a woman. She was young. She was f- physically formidable. Um, and she was, you know, a little rough around the edges, a little crass. And but did this, but still had the same uh, empathy and compassion for people. And and but she was so so much more vibrant than. Um, and she was a former EMT worker because I had interviewed a lot of EMT workers and paramedics, and saw you know how many um, how many people regularly deal with death on a daily basis mm-hmm. when you're doing those jobs. Mm-hmm. And so some something like euthanasia would be or death with dignity would would kind of a natural offshoot of a career like that yeah um and so so i start with the premise and then i think all right who would be interesting and and possibly unexpected in a world like that so really the characters come to you before the plot does the characters come to me because i'm basically i'm dropping somebody in a in a world um like if you think of like a good example to think of is uh if your premise is I want to create a theme park, but fill it with dinosaurs. <laughs> it's like right. you know, pretty, pretty unique. And then you think, well, who, who do I drop into that world that would be interesting? Well, the, you could drop in a mathematician who, you know, subscribes to chaos theory. You could, you know, it, you know, and so like you get these characters that would be, that would have natural conflict of being in this world. So the other, um, the other main character in the book is somebody who represents law enforcement. And I'm, I'm very, very, um, I'm typically very hesitant to write about law enforcement because they're such a ubiquitous, um, character to have in a thriller. Mm -hmm. But for this, I thought, well, this is, if you're in a world where somebody's breaking the law and effectively killing people, whether or not you agree with, uh, whether it's a mercy killing, um, having somebody who represents law enforcement would by definition put them in some sort of conflict mm-hmm. to, to be in that world. And so I thought, you know, that's a good example of, um, you know, and having them have to, so in, in the end, it's, uh, this sort of strange, uh, relationship where they're at allies and enemies all at once mm-hmm. because they're, they're each trying to force each other to, to do something they don't want to do. Uh, in this book. That was one of the, um, I have to say that was one of the things I got too late in my career. It took me a long time to realize that your book goes better if you set up the conflict to be organic in the characters. Like you can actually manipulate that and, and make that happen, which is a great tip if somebody is listening and hasn't actually thought all the way through to that. Yeah. Help yourself out. Give yourself that gift. And, um, and yeah. then, so where do you write? Do you write it? Do you write at home? Do you write on the computer? Do you write every day? I write, um, I write on the computer. I'm not a writing by hand person anymore. And it's mainly because my, I've done it for so long that it's so much faster. If I, if I get my thoughts out on computer, I mean, there was, there was this feeling there, there is still this school of thought that you're in touch with your feelings more. If you, if it's more tactile and you do that and do it by hand. At one point I even believed it, but at this point, like I I feel like whatever, whatever is the instrument that allows you to bring your thoughts to the page, the fastest Mm -hmm. is a good thing for me. That happens to be my laptop. Yeah. Um, I will write anywhere, almost anywhere, but my home. 
and it's still because my my house has so many great writing locations like this i'm speaking to you from my home it's a i i love my home but um i can't i need some degree of distraction for me to be able to write i don't know if it's hmm. so this cafe that we talked about where we both used to write i like the idea of looking up seeing a momentary distraction of somebody doing something and then going back to my writing. Mm-hmm, um, I, it could be at a library. It could be at a cafe. It could be on sunny days. If I can just be outside and just like being connected to the world, even though I'm buried in my laptop, still feeling some sort of connection to the rest of the world really helps me where I would be really bad. If you had uh, a desk sat me at a desk that faced the corner and where I was staring at a wall, I would be very uncreative then. Interesting. I've never thought about why I like that so much, but perhaps that's some of it. I, I have to leave the house for first drafts. I can revise at home, but I cannot get a first draft out to save my life. That's kind of accurate for me too. Yeah. It, weird? As, as we get into multiple drafts and as the, it's how much brain juice do I need to yes. actually, yeah. If I need all of it in a first draft or even in a rewrite, then I need to be out of the home. If it's, mm-hmm. if it's minor stuff that I, um, you know, like my editor, my agent has minor edits that don't mm-hmm. require a whole lot of creative juice to, to think about, I can kind of do that at home. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Um, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Uh, the biggest challenge, I think, is um, is character development. And I think it's character development in terms of how much – I get to know my people really well before they go on the page. There are, you know, I end up writing bios for each character that can be upwards of 10,000 words each. You're kidding. Uh, yeah. I, and I, I, I know everything about my people before they go on sta- I before they go on the page. I know almost nothing. I know what they want and I know how I'm going to break them. And that's it. That's all I got. I, I know what their most embarrassing secret is. I know who they're attracted to. I know. uh, I know every list of things you you ask yourself about them, or is it something that just happens every time? I I have a have a standard questionnaire that I ask, Mm -hmm. and that's Frankenstein from um, a lot of uh, a lot of similar exercises pulled from a few different books, Mm -hmm. plus some of my own questions. And um, so I'll get to know everything, so that if I put them in a scenario, um then I'll, I'll know naturally how that person will react. Mm-hmm. So a, one of the, a great exercise for me was when, when the first book got published, we produced it. Um, it got sold to audible and audible did an audiobook. Mm-hmm. And so if you're ever lucky enough to do an audiobook, um, which I, I found the experience really rewarding. You had, I worked with an actor who was the narrator and she did a, um, a very deep read of the book. And then came back to me with questions, and it was, the questions were as rudimentary as asking how somebody would pronounce something. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of it was about motivation and understanding character. And you know, she'd ask me like, "Well, would this person do do this?" And I'd I'd think about it and be like, uh, "And without really having to think about it, I I could rationalize what they would, how they would say something based on something, some quirk of their behavior." That is hilarious. I think I have eight yeah. audiobooks out and I've had those questions from the narrators and I always respond with, I have no idea. 
Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. They're, they're such, they, they become, you know, real living human people as I go, but I, I wouldn't be able to answer those questions. And then it makes me wonder, like, should I try that kind of technique? I thought it was fun to know, but again, like I'm, I'm still fairly new. I only have two books published. I have, um, I, I'm, I've just finished book five, which my agent is reviewing right now. It's not fairly and new. That's, <laughs> that's, you're well established already. <laughs> um, but so I, I don't, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm still learning the process. So there are parts of it that I like, maybe, maybe I don't need to do all that backstory, but I felt oh, like I'm envious of it. Well, I feel like that had been a weakness and it still is because I'm writing literary thrillers and there's always a question to me of how much of that person do I put on the page? And sometimes when I put more of the person, more of the emotions on the page, an editor will come back and say, you're slowing the pacing down by putting in all this stuff. And so yeah. that character development gets yanked and for the sake of keeping the pacing going. And uh, but it's, you know. For those who read me, it's not for lack of want. I would love to go off on a 40-page tangent on, you know, what somebody picks out to wear uh, on the anniversary of their children's death or something, you know, whatever it is. I would actually love to know that, yes. Right. I would. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Um, uh, You know what would be a great story? Um, Have somebody pick out a wardrobe on the anniversary of their children's death and have it be like them and drag because that's they're kind of finally free to be oh, the person that they want to be i love um, that <laughs> so, free story idea for wants it. <laughs> i think it's wonderful <laughs> we'll see. Um, if anybody writes that please let us know <laughs> yeah please, please, let, please let us know and um what is, we'll, what is your biggest joy in writing i love um I guess world building. I love mm. really creating a world that's that's new. I like I like um, if I can write something that I feel like somebody else wouldn't have written, mm. and some something that is me and unique, uh, then I f- I feel like I've done a good job. Um, I don't I don't really want to write. You know, there are a lot of writers out there that do a great job at what they do. I don't I don't want to be somebody else, mm-hmm. and so that's. You know, I don't want to have a hard-boiled detective who suffers no fools, um, and and not that those are bad things. Like a lot of people do them really well. It's just there are a lot out there, yeah. and I, um, my goal is to write. You know, I, the people that I grew up with were people like Road Dahl, who had just wonderful imaginations, and um, were completely you know, themselves. He was completely himself. He was, and he, yeah. he was that an absolute jerk. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. His, his family is not happy about that. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was unhappy to find. Yeah. He, I was uh, unhappy I, to find that out too. Yeah, <laughs> but as a writer, he had so much imagination, and I grew up thinking, well, why, why can't adult novels have mm. those kind of imaginations? And there are books out there like there's an author named Stephen Dobbins who I like a lot, who is. Um, has a book out called The Wrestler's Cruel Study, but he's an incredibly prolific poet and writer. And he, Stephen King is like, he's one of Stephen King's favorite writers, oh but um, he's, he's an, a killer writer. Um, he's sort of like the Joyce Carol Oates of like thrillers. Wow. I don't even know his name. I'm going to have to check him out. He's a great writer and he, and he has a lot of imagination. He has a wonderful narrative voice too, which is another thing that attracts me 
to to writers and something like you when you were asking what goal do I have as a writer? The other is to have a unique narrative voice that people seem to click into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is something my students are always asking me about. So I'm going to go veer off of the questions that I sent you. Um, how how do you think that a writer goes about about finding their voice? Um, I think much like life, if you can, your ability to not can I swear on your podcast? Yes, you can. <laughs> to, the ability to not give a shit about things really yeah. helps you. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I think in life and in finding your voice, if you can write, you write more authentically if you don't care about being perceived any certain way mm-hmm. and you just write the way you think. Um, that's not to say that you can't elevate that, mm-hmm. but I think um, I have a certain way of thinking and I think the the more successful, the more, the more authentic I am to that voice in the, in my, in, in my head, the more easily I can, I can write something that resonates with readers. Which is when to I say, they'll go on. No, I was going to say when I, when I end up trying for something, I think when I, I put so much more effort into something and it can still be good, but it's not, it doesn't, is viscerally. Yeah. And you have actually just fairly effectively yeah. proven my point that I talk to my students about all the time, which is that the more you try to have a voice, the more you'll fail. And your voice is like your accent. It's something that everybody else can hear. You might not be able to hear it, but as long as you're authentic, your voice will come through. Right. So, oh, good. Excellent. Um, what is the absolute best or worst writing advice you've ever been given? Uh, write what you know. Is that best um, or worst? That's one of the worst, uh, because I think that 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 limits your scope of of what you can write about, and it limits the scope of what of things you know about. I think you write what you're passionate about, and you, if you're, one of the things I love about this is being able to do research on things that I don't know about, and I get to be a kid again, and I get to learn about worlds that I didn't know existed, and I can write mm-hmm. about them. You are and, you are probably not a euthanist. You don't have to admit it if you are. Is that actually right. a, is that actually a term or did you make that up? That is a made up term. There's I love no. It, it yeah. should be euthanist. Yeah, yeah, there should, <laughs> yeah. There, that should be a, a job. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and with the new health care bill, it may be a job. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I. So the bad advice I've gotten is are things that that are very limiting. Um, some of it is very. Some of the bad advice is very subjective. Like um, I remember um, somebody somebody saying um, somebody rejecting me at one point saying I don't like present tense prose. Mm. And like, well, hard to argue with that. <laughs> like, sure is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and um, so I'd say like. If you have a bullshit meter, turn it on. And if somebody gives you advice that seems to smack, I mean, listen, because a lot of people have great advice to tell you. But if something just seems strange and you can't understand the rationale for why somebody would advise you on, on like, don't use the letter T. Like, if there's something like that that comes out that you're like, well, that seems kind of funny. Why would somebody? So don't be afraid to question that advice. But at the same time, don't reject all advice because a lot of writers have really good advice. And, and one one simple one 
although it's, it oversimplifies the issue is try not to write with adverbs. Um, you know, that's, uh, it's not always uh, a thing, but it does, it will help you create a tighter voice. Mm -hmm. If you lose, if you try to drop the adverbs, um, try not to write in passive voice. That's good advice. Uh, and I think that the part of it is I have my own theory that the, the nature of how we consume media right now, where everything is shorter, everything is in, like, I think we see so many books that are, we expect to read in the first person now mm -hmm. because everything that we read on social media, everything that we engage with is all about me, me, me. Oh, what an and interesting they, theory. I had not thought of it that way. Yeah. I, and I, I think that, like part of it is there's people we're so used to seeing people present us with whatever persona they want us to see that we expect that in our prose now we expect some to actually we're reading a person oh. um, and i know that pacing is more important than ever because yeah. of the nature of the media we consume and and the pace of everything has gotten so much faster than there's no alfred hitchcock slow build where like if you watch the original psycho it takes you half the movie to get to the, to even get to the Bates motel. Right. Like you would, right. You would never have that now. You would never, that would never get greenlit now. Yeah. Um, and so pacing, um, Megan Abbott actually in a, and, and another, a number of other thriller writers for the New Yorker were asked what they thought constituted a good thriller. And she, I, th I remember her specifically saying, Oh, pacing. And a lot of other writers that are very successful now, they emphasize pacing. And I think about it more in terms of the movies I watch, mm -hmm. shows that I watch, and, and the, the, the critical element of pacing and being able to tell stories and not getting bogged down um, in, in tangents that don't push the story forward. Now, there'll be somebody out there that says, well, that's not the kind of book that I want to write. Of course. And it may not be. Um, but even in literary fiction – You'll, I'm finding that when I read literary fiction, the pacing has sped up a little bit from what it used to That's be. That's fascinating. I'm going to keep my eye out for that because I, my yeah. gut says you're absolutely right and I just haven't been able to verbalize that. So that's great. Thanks for sharing that. By the way, I feel like the way I'm rendered here on Skype, I feel like I have like a Bruce Campbell-like chin. You <laughs> actually do. I've, I noticed the cleft in your chin. <laughs> it's very Bruce Campbell-ish. Is it not normally that way? No, it's it's sort of what I look like, but I think the the my laptop camera distorts it, so I look extra Bruce Campbell. Like the the, right the shadow is happening more. Yeah, That's yeah. hilarious. But I'll take it. I, you know, yeah. No, so if yeah. you're listening, listeners on the pod on on iTunes, you'll have to go over to YouTube and check out the check out the chin. So that's check excellent. Out Check out the chin. Can you, you might have already done this because you've just given us a couple of really great tips. But can you share a quick craft tip of any sort? Craft. Um... I – well, I guess I'll go with the, 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 the character development thing that I oh, mentioned please, earlier yeah. where uh, if somebody pings me, I'll, I'm happy to share the list of questions that I use to flesh out my characters. But before I even hit the page, um, I know exactly what – who my folks are and what they'll do and what they look – everything from what they look like to – but really what, what motivates them. And – the thing about that is that it'll make your drafts flow much faster. And I stole this from a book about film and television called Story 
and there's a book called Story that's written by a guy. I want to say his name is Robert McGee. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's a wonderful book that's never never carried in the writing section of bookstores. It's always in the film section. Oh. But um, it is a wonderful book to read about story development. And it's all about the essence of story. And he argues, basically, if you do all the work going into the draft and you're not stumbling around during the draft – You'll drafts will flow because you'll already know your people. And even though it's more frustrating to get to page one because you want to get started on that draft, the time that you spend before you start your project, mm -hmm. if the more prep time you, you do, the, the easier your first draft will be. And your first draft will still suck and you'll have to revise it and embrace that and love it. Oh, yeah. But um, – but it means your your revisions will flow just because you'll know the world that you're building so much more going yeah. into it. I'm listening and that to ideation you. part of it takes takes so much longer. Oh my god, I'm listening to you with wide open ears because I'm I'm entering the third draft of this thriller, and my problem is is that I just don't have a tight enough handle on my main character's arc. And if I had known yeah. that going in and I, I'm now making those decisions in revision, why is she reacting like this? I don't know. And I'm having to figure it out now, um, which is a problem. So the reason, right. I, the reason I started this show uh, was because I'm always searching for the magic bullet in terms of writing process. And I know there is none, but I like to hear all of the tips and give them to my listeners so that they can choose between the tips. And I'm going to read that book because I, I have it on my shelf and I haven't read it. Um, so I'm going to read that and maybe try some of that character stuff. And I want, I want you to send me the character things that you ask. That would be wonderful. I will. I, I'm ha I will happily share that <laughs> okay, with you. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, when you have self-doubt or dark days, how do you deal with that? Um, sometimes I just hunker down and do the work. I, I mean, I think of the work as, um, I think of it a lot like exercise Yeah. and for people that exercise a lot, the human body has, when you're actually exercising, whatever your form of exercise is, there's a period of work and then there's a period of recovery and, and rest. Mm. And the rest and recovery is as important as the work. Um, and I think in terms of creativity in the same way, there are periods where you hunker down and you do the work. And then there are times where you step away from the work. And that's for me when some some thoughts coalesce mm. or, you know, I can actually bridge sections of the story or a thought that hadn't occurred to me will occur to me during these periods of recovery. And, um, so when I'm in a dark mood, I kind of do it in the same way that you grudgingly go and do a workout on mm -hmm. a bad day. Um, you just do it because you know that even if it's garbage that you're putting out there, that work can actually pay dividends the next time you take a break and you're allowed to think about it. Excellent. Excellent way of putting that. I love that on really bad days. If you just can't get out of that funk and you were given the ability to choose any profession in the whole world, which you could step into, what would you choose? Um, a professional heroin addict, I think. Um, why? That is <laughs> definitely the first time anyone has ever said that on this show. One hundred percent. No, um, I uh, I grew up in a uh, uh, kids. I'm joking, um, but they're like writing it down. Also joking, um, 
Um, yeah, no, I, I grew up in a family of two painters, uh, and I so grew up in a creative household. And so I always kind of grew up the, with the, the idea that I wanted to do something creative. I, I've also been a musician. Um, if I were to not do any of that, um, the other part of my career is I do things that are um, promote social causes. And so I probably would do a little bit more of that. Mm. Um, That's good. But uh, but yeah, I really I really like to write. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're doing the stuff you want to do. That's excellent. Yeah. yeah. What is the best book you've read recently and why did you love it? The best book, which everyone's going to hear about in about a month, is called The Woman in the Window. Oh, I keep hearing about this. This is like you're like the yeah, first yeah. person to say this to me this week. Yeah, why? So, so it's it's it has everything. I mean, it's like uh, it's this guy, A.J. Finn. Um, that's his pen name. Uh, and I got to interview him a, a few uh, months ago, but it just aired a couple weeks ago. And he, uh, he's a writer in New York and he, he has a book about a woman who has agoraphobia, who is sheltered in her, her Harlem brownstone. And she feels like she sees a crime across the street. And it so has, it's, very, it's echoes of rear window, right? It echoes of rear window. And it, it, it very, it's very self-aware of its echoing of rear window. Mm -hmm. The the main character has a fondness for noir films and Hitchcock. Uh. Um, and so it's very, so it's very much an, a love letter to in the same way that stranger things is a love letter to the eighties, yeah. but is its own thing. This is a love letter to Hitchcock and, and classic noir. Um, and it's his, he writes beautifully and it, it is just a gripping thriller. And it's so I, I was able to get a review copy last July and I just read it and I was like, yeah, this is this is going to be the one that people this is going to be the new girl on the train. I'm actually getting a review copy tomorrow from yeah. a, a thriller friend of mine who hadn't just finished it. And she said, when I see you tomorrow, I'm handing this off. So so I can't uh, wait. Since everyone said that, I'll I'll give you a book <laughs> that you that may not have come across your been on your radar it's a book called hex h-e-x haven't heard of it and it's by uh, i think a danish writer named thomas olde havolt uh, if i'm pronouncing it correctly correctly and it's about a northern new york town on the hudson valley that for 400 years has been plagued by a witch and the mm. witch isn't a ghost but it's a real manifestation of a woman who just hasn't died in 400 years i'm in and and to control her, they've sewn her eyes shut because God knows what would happen if they ever opened them. So she will literally all of a sudden just be in your living room <gasps> and pop out and then just be in the middle of the street. It, it depends. And so the thing that changes is that he builds this world where the sheriff, everyone tries to keep people from moving into town because once you're once you've moved into town, you can't move out. Oh, um, no. But the kids that have had to grow up with this town and realize they can't really leave, they have started to get things like cellular devices oh. and so with cameras. And so things start to slip out. And what happens when this story can start to leak out of town? That, uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. That is one of those stories that you're, I mean, I'm sure you have it as a writer. You, you hear those stories. And you're like, God, I wish I had thought of that. I just want to write that. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And speaking of 
things that you want to write, will you tell us where we can find you and what um, what we should look for from you? I've actually got the Euthanist on my Kindle. I haven't started it yet, but now oh, that I've talked you. to you thank and you. I can't, and I've, I've learned about the heroin, I can't wait to start. <laughs> I really can't. Well, I, I'd like to dissuade you from starting the heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I have a so I have a few more books that are in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't announced any of them yet because it's all depending on what happens with my agent, and my mm-hmm. publisher. Um, so I have two books out now, and the best way to find me is to go to www.alexdolan.com. So that's a l e x d o l a n dot com. And also you can look me up on Amazon or any of the places you normally buy books. And is your podcast linked on your website? Can they find you from there? It is, yes. Great. The podcast is called Thrill Seekers. Yeah. And it's part of a larger author network called Authors on the Air Global Radio Networks. I am going to start listening because, like I told you in the email, um, (laughs) thriller is a new genre for me and I'm really trying to nail it. And it's hard jumping to a new genre. It really is difficult. So, excellent. Well, I'm so glad to meet you. Thank you for spending your time with us. And it's been such a yeah. delight to talk to you. I hope that I see you in our unnamed cafe soon. I and hope to do. I will buy you a coffee in return for spending your time with us. Thank you so That'd much, Alex. All right. Okay, All right, happy writing care. to you. Bye. All right, bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.